0: Hello, and welcome to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope you're blessed and encouraged by this message titled, The Rivers of Living Water. For more information on this message or the ministries of Consumed Church, please check us out at dconsumedchurch.com. Be blessed and filled as you receive his word. One of the privileges of being a leader here is we get to be the judges for the chili tasting. <laughs> <laughs> I know somebody that won that last year. Oh. You get to have it. <laughs> and I was hoping we would get to take some home, but y'all ate it all up. <sighs> mm. So... Let me go over a couple of themes during the worship service before we get started. Is that all right? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see you in the light of your glory. Matthew talked about living close to the altar. Not only living close to the altar, being comfortable living close to the altar. And then we sang, let us become more aware of your presence. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. Would everybody agree with that? Your glory, Lord, is what our hearts long for. Listen to the scripture like you've never heard it before. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay, now this is not a trick question. You all have heard me say this before. What do you see when you look in a mirror? Why do you look in a mirror? To see yourself. Nobody looks in a mirror to see what's behind them. They can turn around. You look in a mirror to see yourself. Here's what the scripture says. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And when you can look in the mirror and see yourself and see the glory of God in yourself, you will be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. That's the reason why I'm going to be teaching classes on identity and sonship. It's not because of me, it's because of the word. Because the voice of the accuser his primary attack is to keep you from believing who the father says you are. And he doesn't say that because it's good wishful thinking. He says that because he created you and he knows what's exactly he knows exactly what you are. He's not looking at you funny. He created you, knows who you are, and he says, you belong in my presence. And when we can see the glory of the Lord on ourselves, that word is transfigured. That's the same word that happened to Jesus when he stood on the Mount of Transfiguration and they finally saw him for who he really was. And it was so astronomical, Jesus told them, when we get down there, don't tell anybody else. (laughs) Right? Right? The same word, it says when you have the ability to begin to believe and see the glory of God in yourself, you get transfigured into that same image from one degree of glory to the next. That's the gospel, y'all. And that's what we're going to be talking about on Tuesday nights. We belong close to the altar, y'all. Now, for those of you that don't know, our senior pastors, John and Lauren, they're on a fishing tournament this weekend because that's one of his areas of influence. That's his metron. He goes there and shares the gospel and the good news with a bunch of fishermen. So bless them, Lord. You know, this, this man had not seen a friend of his Since they were really young and out of the blue, he calls them and says, let's go fishing. So they're in a boat in a bay. And a funeral comes by, a procession with a long line of cars, and everybody's got their lights on. And he stops and puts his fishing pole down and just stands in respect as the procession goes by. And his friend goes, wow, I never knew you were that religious of a man. He said, well, it's the least I could do. I was married to her for 35 years. <laughs> John is not like that. <laughs> John is with Lauren in the boat fishing together in a couple's tournament. You know, I've, I've, I've always... I've always been fascinated with water. You can ask Sylvia. I've always been fascinated with water. I can go on a walk and if there's a pond anywhere in there, I will find it before I come back out of the Always. Well, the title of my message today is Rivers of Living Water. I'm going to remind us of some things we already know. And I'm going to shine some light on some things we might not have thought of before. So if you would, please turn with me to John chapter 4. You're going to at least want to write a couple of these scriptures down and meditate on them. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard That Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. I want to show you guys a map. Put this in a little context. Is that okay? I geek out on this stuff. The journey from jerusalem to either nazareth or capernaum jerusalem is in judea down in the bottom nazareth capernaum nazareth is up in galilee capernaum is up above that against the sea of galilee that was about a hundred and twenty mile trip all of the men had to make it three times a year from anywhere in the nation three times a year they had to go for the major feast The women had to go at least once a year for Passover. So here's what they would do. Say if you were in Jerusalem, you would cross over the Jordan River into Perea. That's what the scripture calls the land beyond the Jordan. You remember uh, in the Old Covenant when uh, they were receiving their inheritances, there was Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh that stayed on one side of the river. That was that, Perea. Perea. That was where Jesus was baptized. There's lots of times in the scripture when you see the Jordan or, or excuse me when you see the land on the other side of the Jordan, that's what it's talking about. So they would cross over the Jordan, they would go up Perea, go into Decapolis, right before you got to the Sea of Galilee, you would cross over the other side. And then it's about the same distance you go northwest to Nazareth or you go straight north to Galilee. Or excuse me to uh, Capernaum, which is if you don't know it, the scripture says that's Jesus' home. Jesus lived in Capernaum. 120 miles. Went through that, right by Beth, J- Jerusalem, when you go down, you see that brown drop down. It's called the Jordan Valley. That's the road to Jericho. See Jericho right there? That's the road to Jericho. So you go down the Jordan Valley and cross over. It was only 90 miles if you went through Samaria. You went straight up 90 miles. But nobody wanted to go through Samaria. I don't think we get it now. The Jews hated the Samaritans. It wasn't that they just didn't like them very much. They hated them. If you remember back in the Old Testament during the kings uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, The the kingdom was divided. There were two kingdoms called the southern kingdom, and there were ten kingdoms called the northern kingdom. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. And when the king of Assyria came and wiped everybody out, he took all of those people back to Assyria with him. And then they planted foreigners there. And then the people that were left started intermingling and marrying with the Assyrians, which the scripture said, do not do. If you remember the book of Ezra, Ezra 4, Nehemiah 4, when they're going back in to establish the temple and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, the people that were fighting against them, Sanballat and all those, most of those people were from Samaria. They hated them. So look at verse 4, John 4, 4. He had to pass through Samaria. Oh, That had to be a spiritual thing because he really didn't have to. They made that journey all the time without going through Samaria. But he had to that time. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, 12 o'clock. A woman from Samaria came and draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? You see why the story of the good Samaritan was such a big deal? Jesus said a man was on a journey and he got beat up by robbers, which happened on the journeys. That's why you went with a whole group of people. So you weren't subject to getting robbed. Everybody went three times a year back and forth. So this guy gets robbed and beat up. And Jesus says, you know what? A priest went by and did nothing for him. Crossed the road, went on the other side. Then a Levite comes along. He crosses the road. It doesn't say he walked past him. It said he went on the other side of the road to not walk past him. And then this despicable dog of a Samaritan stops and helps him. There was a good Samaritan. That story, that stung when Jesus told that story to the Pharisees. (laughs) So, how can you being a Jew, ask for a drink for me. Here's what my scripture says. Yours says something close. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritan. Okay. John chapter four, verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying you, give me a drink, and you would have asked and he would have given you living water we, we read this stuff so much they're just little Bible stories if you would have known who's standing here and if you would know what the gift of God was you would have asked a completely different question than what are you doing talking to me And I would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well's deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? She's dissing him. He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. She's saying, number one, what are you doing talking to me? Number two, what makes you think you've got something that Our father, Jacob, gave her, gave us. Let me say this, because we're not going to go into it. Y'all know the story. Jesus tells her, go get your husband, right? She says, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right, you've had five of them. The one you've got now is not your husband. You got to understand in that culture, women didn't get divorces. Men did. This woman had been rejected five times. He wasn't calling out her sin. He was calling out her brokenness. You have been abandoned by five different men. And the man with you now doesn't respect you enough to be your husband. He's calling out her brokenness, folks. After she despised him, where are you going to get this water from? You ain't even got a bucket. (laughs) Verse 13, Jesus said to her, say everyone. everyone, everyone, say it again, everyone. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You're one of those people that likes to underline promises in your Bible. There's one. He's obviously not talking about water, is he? He says... You will never thirst again. In the Greek, it uses the word that sometimes translated well, sometimes it's translated fountain, sometimes it's translated spring. Depends on the context. But he says, there's a well in you. Here's what the Greek says. It will leap up. It's the same word where it says when they healed the man and he walked in. Uh, what, what is it? Dancing and leaping and pray, What's the word? <laughs> Jumping. No, come on. What is it? Yes, yeah, yeah. Same word. He was leaping. It says there will be a well in you that will leap up into life that never ends. He's not talking about heaven. Eternal life is not heaven. Eternal life is what happens to us when we get born again and we get filled with the life of God and it never, ever ends. Yes. And he says this thing is going to leap up out of you and it's going to be Life that never ends. There's three words for life in the Greek. One of them is baos, which means your physical body. The other one is suke, which means the life of the soul. That's how we relate to one another. The other one everybody, most everybody knows, is the word zoe. It means the God kind of life. It can be physical, uh, spiritual emotional but it's the life that only comes from and as sustained by God and he says you'll have that in you and it will never end and here's what he says you do you ask and then you drink you ask and then you drink he said if you knew the gift of God If you knew who it is that's standing here making this offer, you'd ask, and then you'd drink. Amen? Amen. All right. John chapter 6. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Then he sends his disciples away, right? They go on a boat, and then Jesus walks on the water. This is not the time Peter walked on the water, so apparently he did it once or somebody left it out of this version. But what it says is he walked in the water, he got in a boat, and immediately they were on the other side. The people get up and go, where would everybody go? He just got through feeding them, 5,000 of them, men. Who knows how many there were, 5,000 men. So they go looking around and they see the boats are gone. They went, ah. So they all get in boats. They go to Capernaum. Jesus went home with his disciples. They go to Capernaum and they find him. And Jesus says to them, you're not seeking me for miracles. You're seeking me because you got your belly full. That is what he told them. You're seeking me for bread. So here's their response to that. Why don't you show us a sign? Moses gave us manna in the wilderness. Why don't you show us a sign? That's a good response to you're just chasing me around to have a full belly. (laughs) That's how we get to John 6. John 6, verse 32, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said the same thing the woman said, sir, give us this bread. She said, I'll take some of that water. They're like, sir, Give us this bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Is that what it says? Is that what your Bible says? I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will hunger no more. Whoever believes in me will never thirst again. Now, we know hunger means I'm hungry, but here's what it means in the Greek to crave, to suffer want, to be needy. It comes from the root word, which means. It comes from a root word which means a poor man. A man that has to work every day for his assistance. A man that has to work every day for daily bread. That's the word it comes from. To crave, to, to suffer lack, to need. He said, whoever comes to me won't have that. Thirst means more than thirst. Figuratively, listen to this. Those who are said to thirst painfully feel their want of. They eagerly long for those things that would refresh and support and strengthen their soul. He's not talking about you need a snack. He's not talking about you're a little dehydrated. He says there's these cravings. These needs, ain't no, nobody in this room that does not know what I'm talking about. He says, "If you come to me and believe, you will never have those again. That's what Jesus said, y'all. That's the promise of the Lord. Come to Him and believe. Now turn with me, if you would, to John 7. How many times have we read these scriptures? Yeah. Huh. I want, to, I want to read the intro. It's not going to come up. Let me read the intro. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee, remember, above Samaria. Jesus went about in Galilee, and he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. That happened the last time he was in Jerusalem. It's in John 5, when he heals the man in the pool of Bethesda, and he does it on Sabbath. Naked, furious. That's why when Jesus is talking later in this story, he goes, uh, I do one miracle and you want to kill me. And they go, you're nuts. Who wants to kill you? He knew they wanted to kill him. Everybody didn't know it, but he knew it. This is what it said when he healed that man. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, which made him equal with God. So he knew when he went back there after him. So it says, John chapter 7, Jesus went about in Galilee. He wouldn't go into Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booth was at hand. That was last week, yeah? Feast of Tabernacles. So quote. So his brother said to him, leave him here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things... Show yourself to the world. Listen to this, verse 5. For not even his brothers believed him. Scripture says he had four brothers, James, Simeon. I forgot the other two. James ends up being the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So he got some faith somewhere in there after the resurrection. But here it says his brothers didn't believe him. Do you all know there's a scripture, just by the way, there's a scripture in Mark. Mark. Can I find this? This is in Mark 21. Here's what, excuse me, Mark verse, chapter 3, verse 21. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him because they were saying he's out of his mind. That was early on in Jesus' ministry. Mary had all the promises. All of the rest of the family thought, what is wrong with him? And at this point, already into his ministry a while, his brother still didn't believe him. So Jesus said to them, verse 6, John 7, 6, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going to the feast, for my time has not fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. It was required for every male to go to every feast. Jesus told his brothers, I'm not going. And then he went. Because he's like, I'm not not going in with this crowd of unbelievers and starting this mess when I walk in. Because he knew they were looking for him. So... Give me a little context here. I'm not going to walk all over this because I know John is itching to teach on Sukkot next week. (laughs) The Feast of Booths started on a Sabbath and ended on a Sabbath, eight days. What they would do every day is the priest would go down to the pools of Siloam with a golden pitcher, and dip out the water. And then they would walk through the city with it. With everybody blowing as And having a fit. And they would take it into the temple. And then that evening they would pour it on the altar with wine. And here's what. Y'all know what the Talmud is? It's a religious book. that they got, the, the, the Jewish leaders got together and they wrote a, wrote a book. Interpreting the law. And it was called the Talmud. Here's what it says. He has not seen rejoicing. He who has not seen the rejoicing at the place of water drawing has never seen rejoicing in his life. Because they were celebrating everything. They were celebrating. They were celebrating. Uh, Moses' name was Moses means to draw out. They were celebrating the salvation that God had done through the whole thing. They would quote this scripture out of Isaiah twelve three. 3. Would joy draw water out of the wells of salvation? It was a big deal. This was the time when the leader said, if you've never seen the drawing of water ceremony, you don't even know what rejoicing looks like. And this is what was happening. And this was the last day of the feast. This was the great day. This is the ending of the feast. But look at John seven thirty seven with me. On the last day of the feast, the great day. Let me preface it with this. Jesus showed up in the middle, it says. He showed up in the middle of the, of the. It says it just a few verses before. He shows up in the middle of the feast, walks directly in the temple, and starts teaching the people. And they're going... It says there's a big debate between them. Some of them are going, this has got to be the Messiah. Some of them are going, oh, no, this guy's deceiving the people. It says the the leaders uh, sent the officers to go arrest him. This is what's going on. Jesus didn't want to walk in with that fanfare of his unbelieving brothers, so he comes in in the middle of the week, privately, it says, walks right into the temple and starts teaching. So he's teaching in the courtyards of the temple. They're having this giant feast. Now look at 737. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In the middle of this festival they're having, celebrating the wells of salvation. Quiet, meek Jesus stands up somewhere in the middle of this and shouts, If anybody's thirsty, come to me. drink. You don't think that caused the storm? He interrupts the most rejoicing, celebratory festival they have and stands up and shouts out loud, if anybody's thirsty, here's where the water comes from, right here. Whew. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There's your promise color right there. Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Who? Everyone who comes and drinks. Out of your heart, rivers of living water. Uh, some, some say, out of his belly. The word means the inward part of the man. Some say, his soul. Y'all remember the, the, the two parables uh, Matthew 7. He that hears my word and does it is like he that builds his house on a rock. But he that doesn't it's like a man that builds his house on the sand and the waters come and knock it down. It's the same word. It means a torrent. It means the water's strong enough to start knocking stuff down. It's the same word. It's the same word. Out of you will flow a torrent, a river of water that's alive. Because you'll never thirst again. You'll never hunger again. And this thing in you that starts out as a well leaps up and becomes a river that has the Zoe life of God in it. That's what Christians look like according to Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Come to me, drink and believe. Ah, uh, we, we were in Fort Worth yesterday. Please don't hear critical. This is not critical. We were in Fort Worth yesterday, and we had the privilege of standing with the people of God and worshiping in the streets, calling out, Fort Worth belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. We turned and faced up Main Street and said, Fort Worth belongs to Jesus Christ. But in there, I was reminded of something because we started to sing, let it rain, open the floodgates of heaven. Do you know the floodgates of heaven have never closed since Jesus came? When that veil was rent, we don't ever have to pray again, Rend the heavens. He's, he's done that already. And so many of us in churchdom, including me, are just saying, Lord, 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 would you please pour out something on us? He said, it's in you. He said, if you come to me and drink, you'll never thirst again. Here's the benefit for you. You'll never thirst again. You'll never have these cravings that just got to be satisfied with something else. You'll never have need of nourishment because he's the bread. And not only that, this thing's going to well up in you and it's going to flow out of you and affect a dry and thirsty land. And we just, oh God, would you just, because I mean, we love uh, the, the, we love the, times when God has broken out in places like he did in Toronto that started the the people that we are a part of. The Brownsville revivals, the Wells revivals, all those times when God showed up in the middle of a cabin in Kentucky, all those times God showed up and did marvelous things. We love those, but that's not what we're waiting on. Verse 39. Now he said this about the Spirit. Lest there be any doubt, I've read commentaries where they're talking about he's talking about the Word of God flowing out of you. He says he's talking about the Spirit. Most of us got enough seed to trip on, we could use some water. Phew. <laughs> Now, he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I'm not, I'm not going to say how many people live this way, but I'm going to ask this. How many people really want to live this way? That's the promise of the scripture three times in one book, red letters, Jesus said, this is what happens when you come to me and drink. This is what happens when you come to me and partake. This is what happens when you receive my spirit and you believe what I say. Out of you, rivers of knockdown water... Filled with the Zoe kind of life. Lord Jesus help us. One of my favorite scriptures. Lots of people's favorite scriptures. 2 Peter uh, 1 verse 4. He's given us great. Precious. Magnificent promises. That through them. You may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped all the corruption that's in the world because of lust. It's not talking about pornography. It's talking about lust, the cravings of man, the selfishness of man, everybody living for their own thing. He says, through the promises, you can partake in the very nature of your father. And escape all that mess. I mean, you you only got two choices with a promise. You believe it or you don't. You can't work it. You can't step it out. You can't make goals. You either believe it or you don't. I either believe it or I don't. Sorry, I say you a lot. I'm preaching to myself too. Great and precious promises. If we would ask, if we drink, if we come to him, if we believe, we'll never hunger, we'll never suffer lack and have to work for daily bread. We'll never painfully feel the need to be refreshed or supported because we're thirsty. And we'll have in us an overflowing spring of non-ending God life that will run like a flooding river. Is that what it says? Should we believe for any less? Let's just believe into it, y'all. Come on. (laughs) From inside of you. Ah. Lord, we love your word. Oh, we love your word. This is not going to come up. Let me read a couple of scriptures to you. Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. These are the people of God who were rescued saw the entire Egyptian army drown in the sea. All of them. And then they would get up in the morning and there would be bread on the ground. And they would see this cloud that covered them with the shade of God as they went through Moses called it the great and terrible wilderness full of serpents and scorpions and the cloud just covered them and every time it was time to stop this pillar of fire would stop and they would set up the, the tabernacle and Moses would go in and he would land right on top of the tent uh, hard to say most people say that journey across the wilderness was three or four weeks so they sent 12 spies the, Mo- the scripture says Moses listened to the people they wanted to send the spies so they sent out 12 spies and they came back what would they say This land is everything God said it was. But they're really big and we're grasshoppers. Everybody know what I'm talking about? So you know what happened? That entire generation died in the wilderness of unbelief. Sim and I were speaking on this this morning. The wilderness is better than Egypt. I don't have anybody lashing my back all the time. I'm not spending all of my energy for someone else. And I have the provision of the Lord every day. But I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. And I looked over there and I saw that land and I know I'm not there yet. When we pray and say, Lord, give us manna, what we're saying is, Lord, can I stay in the wilderness a little while longer? Because the promised land was the place where you lived in houses that you didn't build. You harvested crops that you didn't plant. It was the place of rest. And it says their disobedience was caused by their unbelief. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 2. Oh, <clears throat> The context of this scripture is the falling away of the people of God. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. If you want to, you want to be a prophet, chapter 2. If you want to be a prophet, don't sign up to be Jeremiah. <laughs> or laying naked in the street cooking your food with dung. Don't sign up for that either. So he says, you've fallen away, you've traded your gods, your shepherds are leading you wrong. But look at this scripture, Jeremiah 2, 13, 14. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hold for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They've done two things. First they rejected the fountain and they're over here working furiously trying to build cisterns that won't even hold anything. Y'all know what a cistern is? Um I'm from I'm from Tennessee. I'd like to find the picture sometime. The house that my Dad grew up in, is one of those things that you see in the field. That's just a pile of wood left over with cotton growing all around it. But one of the houses my dad grew up in. And Sylvia so and I, did you walk with me that day? I've been there more than once, but there's. It was a big house. If you've ever seen them. I forgot the name of them, but it's a house where you look on the front porch and there's stairs in the middle that go upstairs and you get to them from outside the house. You go out of the house to go up the stairs to go up to the second floor. So there's uh, windows of one room over here, windows of another room over here, one door that goes in the bottom, one door that goes in the top. That was the house my dad lived in. And when I went there to look at it one day, and I had to go during the winter because everything was died down and I could walk through it. Otherwise, I couldn't even get there. And I found the old cistern by the back porch that my dad used to talk about. And it was a pit in the ground covered with stones. And the water ran off the roof and ran into this. Because there was not a pump and there wasn't a river. Or a creek or anything like that in this particular house. And that was where they got most of their water. So cistern is a thing in this land, a rocky land, where you dig and you work really hard. And you chip this thing out of rock. And it's a little reservoir. And you work really hard. And you don't know until it starts raining whether it's going to hold water or not. And if it doesn't, you just go over here and start another one because that one's worthless. He says, my people, this is in the old covenant. He was a fountain of living water in the old covenant. And he said, they've done two evils. First, they abandoned the fountain of living water. And they're over here furiously working trying to make something that will hold a little water for a little while so they can get by so we see that they weren't able to enter in because of unbelief I'm guilty y'all how many of us live from one church service to the next, just hoping to pull up enough to get us through the week. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Just looking for whatever source. Don't take this the wrong way, but quiet times can be the same thing. Just, just give me enough to get through today. I'm going to pull this thing up and try to sip out of it all day. I had a men's group one time. I had a guy come in that was just jacked up. And I was teaching sonship and identity. And he came in one night and he said, Listen, I know I'm living in a pool right now, but when you've been in the desert, pool's a pretty cool place. If I have to jump from puddle to puddle, that's what I'll do. (laughs) So all I'm doing is waking us up to the two choices. There is no condemnation. No condemnation. There's no condemnation from God. There's no condemnation from your brothers and sisters. And there shouldn't be any condemnation for yourself. There is none. We'll talk about that in those classes. But I'm just giving you the two options. Either you're believing and drinking and coming to Him and receiving that fountain of life, or we're working on cisterns, just trying to hold us hold enough to get us through to the next time we get a chance to get rained on again. <sighs> mm. I have a group in my house. Tom mentioned it. And one of the things that I love to do is ask questions. And grin. (laughs) Oh, almost busted out in tongues there. Oh, I got to keep going, y'all. Here's one of the questions I ask. Why is the Holy Spirit living in us? We know he's called a comforter. We know he's called a helper. Is that all he's here to do? Make us feel better when we need it? That's great. That's that's awesome. It's a beautiful promise of God. But that's all he's here for? I mean, we we know that uh, Jesus said he will lead you into all truth and he will remind you of all the things I said. Here's what he said also. He will become in you a well of water that leaps up and turns into a river. Wow. This is this sometimes it feels like inheriting a mansion and living in the garage. Y'all have heard this before, probably. He's the parakletos. Para means beside. Kletos means the one who makes the call. He comes up close and calls you from close beside. It means the one who is close enough to you to always make the right call. Really close beside. He's always there. He always knows exactly what to say. He always knows exactly how to judge a situation that we're looking at. He comes to fill us, to satisfy our cravings and needs with living water, which is the only thing that will satisfy our hunger and thirst. And the world is desperate. For the river of God. And we don't do it here, but so many Christians are running around calling out the darkness and judging people instead of being the light and being the river. Now, y'all have heard me say this a lot of times, and I'm going to keep saying it. God had the perfect plan. It's good for you that I go away. Because until I go away, I can't fill you with his spirit. And he says, I'll give you another helper, another Paracletus." He doesn't say, I'll give you a helper. He says, I'll give you another one, one who looks just like me. That's what it says in the Greek. I won't leave you as orphans. I won't leave you without a father, right? Isaiah says he's a wonderful counselor, mighty father, prince of peace. He was fathering them, and he said, I'm not gonna leave you without all of that. I'm gonna send you another one just like me. (laughs) All right, I'm gonna have to leave off this last page, y'all. Galatians chapter three. Mm. such a classic scripture we've heard so many times Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us as it's written cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree good scripture right listen to the rest of it so that In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Why did Jesus become a curse for us according to this scripture? So that we could receive the promise of Abraham. What was the promise of Abraham? Genesis 12, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The scripture says, Jesus became a curse for us. So that we could receive the blessings of Abraham. So that this promised Holy Spirit could come and live inside of us and fulfill that. Scripture says we're a holy nation. Uh, Same word it uses when it says Holy Spirit. It says, we are a group of people, peculiar, carrying his name. There's no greater name than we can have than his. And we're a set apart, chosen people. Filled with his spirit so that we can be a blessing to all the families of the earth. We don't need it to rain again, y'all great if it does but we don't need it we don't need another revival we don't need him to rend the heavens we don't have to sing that he inhabits his praises he inhabited praises when he couldn't inhabit people now he inhabits people don't you know you're the temple Woo! These are the promises of God to us right now. Can I go a little bit more? Yes, sir. Is this good? Yes, sir. I don't mean is this good. Don't pat me on the back. Do you hear it? <laughs> Do you hear the Spirit? Do you hear the Spirit? Yes. Ah, y'all remember the oh. Uh... Y'all remember the river in Ezekiel? You know what I'm talking about? It's in Ezekiel 47. I think I know where it is. This is not going to come up. May I read it to you? I'm going to read fast, okay? Listen fast. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, because the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from the south end of the threshold of the temple, south by the altar, and then he brought me by way of the north gate, led me around to the outside of the outer gate that faces east, and behold, the water was trickling out of the south side. Trickling out. Can you say that? Trickling out. The water was trickling out of the south side. Going eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits. Cubit is 18 inches. Measured a thousand cubits, and then he led me to the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led, excuse me. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen It was deep enough to swim in. A river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river, very many trees on one side and on the other. Oh Lord. This river flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Araba and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. You remember that map earlier? The Araba is the Jordan Valley, the same way they went when they went up to go. It's called, <laughs> that way it was called the Jericho Road. You found me bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road. You poured in the oil and the wine. He said, this water comes out of the temple. Listen to this. The farther away you get from the house of God, the deeper the water is. The farther away you get from the house of God, the deeper the water is. It's what we call apostolic church. We're not trying to get the city in the church. We're getting the church in the city because you've got a river inside of you. <laughs> uh. not about getting the people here it's about being equipped finding out who you are finding out who he is finding out who he's made you to be and what he's equipped you to do and releasing you to go and here's the word of the lord i heard over this folks i heard it tell my people don't worry if it starts as a trickle Don't, don't think, oh, man, I want to I jump in the river. It starts as a well inside of you. And it starts leaping up. And it becomes a river. And the farther away you get from here, folks, the deeper it is. Uh, the Jordan Valley flows into what sea? The Dead Sea. Why is it called the Dead Sea? It is the lowest land-based elevation in the world. Nothing lives there. And here's what the word says. When that river gets there, everything becomes yes. alive. God takes us to the lowest places there are, the lowest, darkest, driest, nastiest places in the world. When the river shows up, everything comes to life, everything. This is the Dead Sea. It uses the word Engeri and Enegliam, which are the cities that mean we're talking about the entire dead sea becomes filled with fish. Fishermen are standing on the bank throwing nets because there's life there. And when his people find out who they are, because creation is groaning, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. God. We say it here all the time. Arise and shine for your light has come for the glory of the Lord has risen on you. Darkness will cover the earth. Deep darkness. But the Lord has arisen upon you and kings and nations will come to the brightness of your shining. It's all over the scripture. You go to the deepest, darkest, ugliest place with a river of life, things change. And the harvest comes. Oh. Mm. Habakkuk, I think it's chapter 2, says, The glory of the Lord will, the, the glory of the knowledge, the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. How's that going to happen? Good answer. answer. There's been only one time the world was completely covered with water before. Genesis chapter 8. And here's what it says. In the such and such year, let me read it. Because y'all don't want to write this down, I think. Genesis chapter 7 verse 11 In the 600th year of Noah's life In the second month on the 17th day of the month On that day The fountains of the great deep burst forth And the windows of heaven were open And it rained on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights Windows are already open There's some fountains that need to break forth And they're in us Agreed? Agreed? Somebody ought to pray. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but please pray your own prayers. You know what repentance is? It means to believe differently afterwards. It doesn't mean just to think different. It means to think differently after you've encountered truth. I look at something and I go, whoa, I was thinking something different and I changed. That's repentance. And I've been repenting for days working on this stuff. I've been repenting for a long time. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit, I recognize in my own life that I've settled for so much less than you pay for. And even as we sing this morning, Lord, would you open the eyes of our heart? We want to see you. But what we need is we need to see you in us. We need to stand in front of the mirror and recognize the glory of God and be changed from one image of glory to the next to be transfigured into the nature of Jesus Christ. We we know, the scripture says, we were predestined to be conformed to his image. And you've done enough for that. So Holy Spirit, I repent. And Lord, with all I know how, I make a decision right now. I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to drink. I'm going to believe what your word says and ask you to open up my understanding, open up my heart, to see and believe the promises of God so that through them I can receive your nature and that the church can be the church because you live in us and you had a perfect plan. If you want to, pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that nothing you paid for would be lost or wasted on me. You paid such a high price for my redemption. Let nothing be lost through my unbelief or the deceptions of the enemy. Lord, fill us again and again and again. Father, I pray in Jesus' name just the revelation of your spirit upon our lives. Those areas of our lives that are cisterns that we go to to get something other than the the life of God. Father, would you call those out and cause us to repent and let you fill them in. Because we know they don't satisfy We know they don't, but we go to them as a substitute because we really need you. And we we determine, Lord, to come to you and drink and eat and believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of Kingdom Bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.